we are live. Welcome to another edition of 30 Rack of Sports. It is December 22nd. Welcome to episode 9 of 30 Rack of Sports. I am Greg, and across from me is someone that can be described, honestly, as the real Heisman winner of 30 Rack of Sports, the guy who manages the ones and twos, keeps me and Zach in line. Josh, how you doing today? I'm doing well. I'm so honored by the uh, the Heisman thing. Actually, I'm a little frazzled. Uh, went and saw the new Star Wars last night. We had NFL football yesterday, which I totally forgot was starting on Saturdays now. We had a full slate of bull weeks. There's just a, We're waited with bated breath on a Francisco Lindor trade that may or may not happen this weekend. There's a lot going on, man. Yeah, huge sports week around the nation and especially in Ohio. So uh, if you wonder why I'm in such a good mood, uh, we're watching the Browns game right now along with some other games on Red Zone. They're up. Also, um, the thorn in my side, Zach, uh, not with us this week. Uh, hanging out with some family, as is uh, what happens during the Christmas season. So... This is still, still got, yeah. This is still the same show, by the way. You're listening to Thirty Rack of Sports. We just went with a little holiday theme to enhance your holiday season. So yeah, so we're big into the holidays, and we're big on Ohio sports and Ohio beers. But before we get to uh, some beer and some sports, we're gonna just preview what we're talking about today. We're gonna talk a little bit of uh, Bengals Browns, talking about maybe playoffs and then drafts. Talk a little bit about. Uh, college football as far as bowl season and signing day go through uh, college football talk a little bit of soccer hockey and basketball and then also um, get into some national news talking about uh, the hot stove and a quarterback that uh, might do something that has never been done before along with talking about our uh, 30 rack bowl pick'em, which we put out on twitter a little update to see how that's going and then, of course, Josh is jeering. I'm grumbling. Josh, you might have to reel me in a little bit of my grumble today. And then uh, we end the show with some shout-outs. Yeah, Greg's, Greg's grumble, just for those of you that are aware, if you're from northern Ohio, you uh, might also be enraged. We're, that's, that's, that might be our biggest grumble we've ever had on the show. It cuts deep. A lot of bad history there. But, uh Greg, you want to tell us what we're uh, sipping on today? Yeah, sure. Before I do that, uh, we just want to tease real quick. Uh, oh, yes. Next week, we have our special edition uh, Christmas show coming out. Uh, you know, obviously, with all the traveling during the holidays, uh, we recorded, all three of us recorded a little special edition uh, Ohio Sports Countdown to kind of uh, wrap up this decade in sports in Ohio. So uh, yeah, it's, it's, we may not be around, but we will have a show coming out next week, Josh. It, it is more of a, a decade show than a, a Christmas show. Definitely a special edition holiday episode for you, but uh, I know we missed a week there on Thanksgiving week. We will not miss uh, an episode this holiday season. We've got this fantastic episode here. We've got the holiday special next week, and then two weeks, our first episode of 2020, we will have a jam-packed show as we recap some bowls and then preview the remaining bowls. Uh, Cleveland Browns just got on the board, and uh, that'll, I believe, be our cue to get into this, I guess. Yeah, so uh, we're going to get into our beer hit real quick. Uh, speaking of Cleveland, we're going to be drinking a little bit of uh, Northeast Ohio beer. I was able to uh, get a growler of some uh, Cleveland beer. Today we are drinking um, from... 
Blue Heron Brewing and Event Center. We are drinking the Beer Blog Brown Porter. Uh, Blue Heron is in Medina, Ohio, just a little bit south of Cleveland. Medina, Medina. (laughs) And this is a brown porter. It says it's a... English dark ale, light caramel, toasty malt, and a slight roast. And it says when Rick Arman, who is the beer blogger from the Akron Beacon Journal, comes to visit, you name a beer after him. So uh, real excited to try this one out. Um, have never actually had anything from Blue Heron before. I've not. So uh, yeah, cheers. Cheers on this one. It does have a very nice uh, caramel malt mixture there. Yeah, it's got definitely the the English uh, malt to it, but some nice dark hops. Uh, very flavorful. Honestly, very flavorful. a really good beer. So yes. uh, very impressed by this, and uh, we'll be drinking as we go through the rest of the show. But uh, what we normally do to kick off our sports coverage, Josh, uh, we play that, that music to get into some news. Yeah, because it's time for the news. So, like I said, um, today during the show, we are recording right during the 1 o'clock games, uh, keeping our eye on the pulse of both the Browns and the Bengals. The Browns, as we see Odell Beckham not be able to come up with a big 50-yard catch, but the Browns are up 6 to nothing on the Ravens. Uh, Browns, Josh, still alive for the playoffs. Ha, 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 stand. And I will tell you how. So all that needs to happen, all that needs needs to happen, happen, are you kidding me? Is we need the Browns to win out, the Colts to win out, the Steelers to lose out, and the Titans to lose out. Right now, the Browns are winning, the Steelers are losing, the Colts are winning. But unfortunately, the Titans are winning. Breaking news with Pittsburgh just benched uh, Duck Todges, Mason Rudolph, back taking snaps for the Steelers as we speak. Whoa, um, and so. they just got a big pass there, as we see on Red Zone. So uh will be interesting to see. Uh, basically, the way that happens is uh, if there's a four-way tie for the um, for the sixth seed, then uh, all the first tiebreakers head-to-head would kind of be broken, so it would go to divisional record. And if the Browns won out, they would be 5-1 and one in the division and somehow slide into the playoffs at 8-8. Eight and eight. So... Uh, if you got any prayers left, uh, then now would be the time to now would be the time to do it. Uh, you yeah. know, hoping for the Browns. Uh, maybe by the time you listen to it, my my heart will already be broken. Um, also in progress, we have the Bengals and the Dolphins, and uh, I believe that game has not come up on Red Zone in a while. But I believe it's fourteen to three out there. No, now twenty to three after Sweet. another touchdown. Awesome. So. Uh, Dolphins go up. Bengals were a one-point favorite coming in, but the Dolphins look to be on their way to a win. And um, any loss in the last two weeks, either to the Dolphins or the Browns, would secure the Bengals the first overall pick. And we'll get to this in a second, but uh, you got to assume if they get the first pick, we're probably looking at uh, one Joseph Burrow Heisman winner. Uh, yeah, uh, in the we'll, stripes. Well, we'll get to it in just a sec, or, or heck, let's just let's jump into it. I mean, we're we're looking at the the draft is coming soon. We're not seeing too much mock drafts yet, but it's definitely about time to start looking at mock drafts. Yeah, McShay came out with his first for ESPN came out with his first mock draft. There have been a few mocks that have come up, but yeah, not a whole lot. But uh, the majority of them. Uh, really revolve around, uh, you know, Joe Burrow going one and 
right now I had some questions for you if they didn't get the first pick and they ended up at three, whether you'd take Tua or trade back. But right now that's looking like that might be a, a moot point. Yeah, Bengals will uh, clinch the first round, uh, first overall pick today if they lose that game, um, which, you know, let's let's just say that they do lose this game, they get the first pick. Um, there were a couple articles that came out this week that some executives are saying not even the Bengals can screw this up. It's a slam dunk. And like I said last That's week, surprising. You know, it's it's a lot like the Carson Palmer situation where you have a guy who is clearly far and above the rest of the quarterbacks and where he has a very high football IQ, has very has been very ingrained in the offensive playbook making at LSU, Carson Palmer at USC. They both won the Heisman. You know, it's just a slam dunk for the Bengals, and the Bengals haven't had this opportunity in over a decade to make this kind of pick. I just think it's very easy when you're searching for what you need to build around. Let's build around the franchise quarterback if we're rebuilding. Who knows? No one will say that, but that's what we're doing. Yeah, so uh, just on Red Zone came across the uh, touchdown that I just mentioned. So uh, now it looks to be 21-3 to in the Miami game. So it's looking it's like magic. That. Working is magic against that Cincinnati secondary. So I guess the, uh, the other question, and I'm sure we'll get to this a ton in the uh, in the offseason, but uh, since the first overall pick is such a slam dunk, Josh, what are you looking for, I guess, in the offseason for the Bengals? I've heard, you know, obviously some offensive line help, honestly some, def- you know, some defensive, you know, linebacking help and whatnot. Um, what would be, I guess, since we're in the Christmas season, what would be at the top of your Christmas wish list for the Bengals aside of uh, a Burrow, which seems kind of uh, like a done deal if they lose this game? You know, I've actually changed my opinion on this a little bit. If you would have asked me at the beginning of the season, I harped on it a lot about how the Bengals still have offensive line needs. When you really look at the offensive line situation for the Bengals, is you had a lot of unfortunate situations. Yeah, Jonah Williams. Ha- yeah, like Jonah Williams, our first-round pick from last year. He just practiced for the first time all year, basically, just the other day. So he's, you know, hopefully he'll be ready next year. Hopefully we get this Cordy Glenn situation worked out. Yeah. And, you know, I think the pieces are there to where you maybe add, like, one more late-round guy to the offensive line for some depth, and you might have the pieces there to make something with that. What is at the top of my wish list is a is a linebacker. The Bengals' defense is so, so weak right now. They have no linebacker. They have no depth there whatsoever. There's a lot of guys that I feel like are playing out of their role on the Bengals, especially at the linebacker core. Um, and when you go back to a couple years ago and you look at what we had when we had, you know, Vinny Ray, Ray Maluga, Vontez Burfik, those guys in their primes. Yeah. You know, you had a specialty at each linebacker position there, and right now you barely have – forget about a specialty player or an impact player at one of those positions. You can barely fill those holes right now. Yeah, it really seems like uh, watching the Bengals, you know, when I have, it seems like their their linebacking core is just – is just slow and that's a problem when you're trying to cover you know you saw it against you know baltimore they had trouble even when they were in the right gaps against lamar or ingram they couldn't cover them uh you know speed obviously if you have to cover a running back or even some of these you know shiftier better athlete tight ends you can't keep up with them so uh right i think you would certainly hope i guess if you're a Bengals fan that they would put some money into that position let's take a look at it and kind of transition to the browns as well and I'll ask you the same question on what your wish list is for the Browns this offseason. But when let's take a look at the division here. And I think the way the AFC North has really like evolved 
the past two years, I think that's kind of changed the needs a little bit of these teams into where you don't really need to strengthen up your offensive line as much because this division in about a year or so, hopefully next year, is just going to be a bunch of young athletes putting on shootouts every game in the division. So I think strengthening up the defense for every team in the division should be a top priority right now. So let me ask you, Browns, offseason, what's your wish list? Uh, so not to throw exactly what you said back in your face, but uh, the Browns have had some pretty bad offensive lines, and I think it's affected how what they've done. Uh, one is getting healthy or getting players back from suspension. Obviously, not having your top two defensive ends through injury or yeah. suspension is tough. Uh, they really have to show up the left tackle position. Having uh, Greg Robinson, you know, there is is terrible. So I would love them to get a solid tackle in the draft. But I think also if they could find someone else at the linebacking position, I just don't think they have quite enough talent in there. They're starting to get, you know, their uh, defensive backs have kind of been in and out of the lineup all year. But I think they have a good young core there. If they could get, you know, a real game-changing linebacker. I know one of them that I said for uh, mock drafts, was um, Simmons, the uh, linebacker who started at safety for uh, Isaiah Simmons out of Clemson. Uh, I don't know if they'll have the opportunity to get him. He might be off the board, you know, too early before the Browns even have a chance to pick. But if they could get someone like that that's, you know, a real speed guy that could kind of play all over the field, I think that would add a lot of continuity to their uh, to their defense. So Now, we've there are some, there are some people that talk about, like, Especially, I guess, more so the Browns. Uh, the Bengals, I think, would be foolish to do this. But are you trading around at the draft? Um, do you have? Do you think you have the leverage to do so if you're the Browns? Well, you know, the one question with the Browns um, is right now they are six and eight. They still have the Bengals right now. They have a lead over the Ravens. Who knows if if that'll stay? But there's a lot of. Um, volatility right now for where their draft pick will be and I think if you're trading up a couple spots to get your guy I would say do it because the one thing that uh you know uh Kuyper and McShay have been talking about is there's not a whole lot of line I mean there are a couple big linebackers and then there's Thomas out of Georgia who's the top uh offensive tackle McShay doesn't even have the uh the kid out of USC as a top draft pick uh Austin Jackson but uh he could be another one to go after. So it's kind of a question of if your guy's there, move up a couple picks, but I wouldn't leverage the house to move up, you know, a ton unless maybe you're getting like Thomas from Georgia who seems to be a top tackle. But I don't know if they even have the leverage to move up because I think he's going, you know, top three, top four. So Right. Well, we'll see what happens. Um, we'll touch on some – Little draft uh, news later, um, and yeah, we'll see as mock draft starts coming out. Um, I think definitely the Bengals are going to wrap up this first overall pick today. Um, so we'll see. There are going to be a lot more mock drafts coming up here, especially as we get into the playoffs and things start slowing down. Um, we'll definitely, and who knows, maybe even um, see some interesting ha- things happen with uh, some XFL players uh, as we roll into that offseason. Who yeah, knows? That, that'll be really interesting to see because I know even with the AAF, uh, there were a few players. Brown's backup quarterback, actually, Garrett Gilbert, was sort of the MVP of the AAF, even though they only played so many uh, so many weeks. So, you know, it will be interesting to see if there's some guys that can kind of make a name for themselves and, and jump back on, on the scene. But uh, speaking of some young guys uh, trying to make a name for themselves, 
we're going to jump into bowl season right now. Uh, as we mentioned, five teams from Ohio in bowls. Uh, the first one kicked off uh, Saturday night. Or no, I'm sorry, Friday night with uh, Kent State getting a big win in a shootout. Frisco against, Bowl uh, was very frisky. Yeah, against Utah State. They won 51-41, to 41, had 25 points in the fourth quarter to beat uh, Utah State. Uh, the quarterback from Kent State, Crum, had 289 yards passing, 147 yards rushing, and three total touchdowns. Uh, Jordan Love, who was uh, an early uh who was a first-round pick in some of the mock drafts to begin this season, who's kind of fallen off from Utah State, had uh, 317 passing yards, three touchdowns, and a pick. But, I mean, Josh, we were talking about this before the show. This was one of the more exciting bowl games that we've seen in a while, just shootout, just points left and right, you know, guys running down the field, big plays, big touchdowns, very back and forth through most of the game until Kent State – kind of took control in the fourth quarter. You had a combined 92 points, a combined over 1,000 total yards, and a combined 55 first downs. I mean, yeah, I mean, both quarterbacks, too, played, both of the quarterbacks in this game played amazing. Uh, Like you said, Love, 30 for 39, Crum, 21 for 26, made some huge plays. Um, Kent forced a lot of great turnovers in this. There was a very big uh, right... Right at the end of the uh, first half, had the muffed, forced the muffed punt, recovered that about right at their eight, nine yard line, took that in for a touchdown. Uh, Kent State's, this was their fourth bowl game ever in school history. And uh, finally, got the first bowl win in school history. Number uh, one. Here's the interesting thing about Kent State is they were two and 10 last year. They have the youngest coach in Division I college football, 33 years old. Came in last year, went two and ten. They were looking at not making a bowl this year. Uh, they had, I think, four or five games to go, and they were losing big time to Buffalo. Yep. Overcame a twenty-eight to seven deficit with seven minutes to go, and never looked back from that. That seven-minute insane comeback set off that five-game winning streak. Kent State, two and ten last year, finishes seven and six this year with their first bowl win in school history. Uh, just some, a great game overall. And like you said, Greg, we haven't really seen a bowl game, especially, you know, some of the early bowl games, a lot of them absolute blowouts. But, uh, yeah, Crum had a great game. Antoine Dixon, five receptions for 99 yards. Uh, Isaiah McCoy, six receptions for 103 yards. Each, each of those guys had a touchdown. Uh, the defense was outstanding. Uh, we had, uh, what, three, four, four sacks in there, four and a half sacks in there. Um, all coming in the second half from the Kent State defense. So just a very a very sound game, a very clutch game played by the Golden Flashes and uh, catapulted me into the lead for our uh, podcast bowl pickums here if you're following along on Twitter with us at 30 Rack Podcast. Um, yeah, we'll get into that we'll in the national segments, but uh, certainly a big game for Ohio. Uh, as we mentioned uh uh, five Ohio teams in bowl games. So far, Kent's the only one to play. Uh, the next Ohio bowl game isn't till Saturday, uh, where Ohio State faces Clemson in the uh, college football playoff. Also, Cincinnati uh, gets the crappy spot on uh, January 2nd during the middle of the day. 
in the Birmingham Bowl against Boston College. OU plays Nevada that Friday. And then the second-to-last bowl game, Miami-Louisiana-Lafayette in the Lending Tree Bowl on the 6th. Um, I'm just going to have to take a guess, and I'm sure most people that, uh, you know, uh, aren't crazy fans about some other teams would say probably the best game will be that Ohio State game against Clemson. And I will say this is turning into an interesting game. It seems like there's some bulletin bulletin board material for Ohio State. Clemson has kind of flown under the radar, but it seems like everybody's kind of on Clemson to go through. I know in the bowl pick, I'm, I believe I was the one out of the three to pick Clemson to win that game, but uh, should be a real interesting game. And uh, yes, I think it were. will be a much closer game than even I expected going in because it seems like both teams, very talented, uh, a lot of bulletin board material. And as much as I like Ryan Day as a coach, I mean, I'm a big fan of Ryan Day as a coach. And, you know, has done great work with this team in his first year. Dabo is probably a top two or three coach in the country, as, you know, I could say a lot of negative things about him, but uh, I think at the end sure, of the day, yeah. he might just be able to coach him up a little bit better. But I expect a very good game, a very exciting game, and honestly, this might be one of the best games of bowl season, Josh. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, you, yeah, you were the only one to pick Clemson on that game, and you were the only one to pick Clemson to win the national championship. Um, and I'm not going to knock your pick there. I very much respect it, and I agree with you uh, on the whole Ryan Day situation. I like Ryan Day. I think he's a fantastic coach. Love his coaching philosophies. At the same time, though, Dabo Sweeney. That some people are. Some people don't believe in the whole like ex- experience doesn't matter when you get to the playoffs. Like experience definitely matters in the postseason. And we're looking at a Clemson team who has. A lot of returning players who have been there before. Ohio State, yeah, they've been there before, but and not to say that Ryan Day hasn't been a part of these past runs before, but I do think you have a bit of uh, an experience there with Ohio State. Um, I still like Ohio State, though. I just that I think it's going to be a crazy game. I think it could be a lot like that Kent State game where we could see an over of near 90 or 100 points in this game because these offenses are light gonna light it up out there in that fiesta bowl yeah i think when it comes down to especially with you know the several week layoff that you have between games it's it's very big in the preparation you can see that with a lot of teams even in this bowl season where you only get you know a couple weeks off once you start to get later in bowl season you can see what teams are prepared and what teams aren't and sometimes it can turn into um into a boat race pretty quickly as the Browns keep giving up yards to the Ravens. All right. Uh, sorry. Back back that to sounds reality. A, sounds about right. Back oh, to that's, reality. No, that's reality. <laughs> but uh, so should be a very interesting game. Staying on college football. Um, if uh, any of you are not super locked into college football and uh, signing, uh, during this week was the early signing day for college football. Uh, this is something that was instituted a couple of years ago. And a lot of the guys that do the early commits sign at this point. Uh, honestly, a majority of the signings so far uh, happen, in, or, you know, uh, the majority of signings that happen during the year happen during the early signing day. A lot of uh, colleges have anywhere between 15 and, and 25 signings. So uh, just to kind of go through some of the Ohio teams, uh, Ohio State, obviously one of the powers in the country, you know, um, uh, college football playoff team. They had the third-ranked class in the nation, uh, which is nothing to scoff at, tops in their conference. 
only behind uh, Clemson and Alabama, which always recruits super well. So right. uh, nothing to scoff at there. Ohio State with another big recruiting class. Uh, Cincinnati uh, under Coach Fickle has been just great. I mean, they've been so much better at recruiting, uh, have gotten some big recruits, especially around the Cincinnati area, you know, getting some of the guys that weren't recruited by Ohio State that are high-ranking to go and some that were recruited. So they were 54th in the nation, the top G5 team. Here's my thing. Here's my thing on that um, is that when you had Tommy Tuberville here, uh, that guy could not recruit worth a damn. And it's like you're here in Ohio. Ohio is not a hard state to recruit football players. No, in so at many all. good players. It's a top five state yeah. as far as recruiting. I mean, we we have we have amazing amazing football facilities in just the the high school football layout in Ohio is so easy to recruit in. And Fickle and his staff are tapping into those. Calling them scraps is not the right word for it. Um, that but, potential, that those but, yeah. obviously solid players. Because if you look at Ohio State, I mean, nothing against them. They had the third class in the nation. No. But they're able to go and get, you know, whoever they want. So they're recruiting some of the real hot, you know, they're recruiting California, Texas, Florida, stuff like that. And at some point, you only have so many recruits. So the, you know, so uh, Cincinnati is able to get some top, especially top Cincinnati talent. We're able to get Evan Prater, who's one of the highest ranked recruits that they've had in the last 10 years from uh, Wyoming High School in Cincinnati. We're able to get, you know, some guys from Princeton, Lakota West. They have Ohio's top three quarterback recruits for the next three, the next three classes. Yeah. So, I mean, great to see. And, uh, you know, it's not just Ohio State in Cincinnati. Uh, I kind of prepped you for this uh, question beforehand, Josh, but uh, to kind of give you an idea of how uh, Ohio recruiting goes, the University of Southern California, USC, uh, you know, national championship in the 2000s, obviously have been down a little bit, but still a good team in Los Angeles, a place a lot of kids want to go to. Josh, if you, according to 24-7, if USC was in the MAC, where do you think their recruiting class would rank? Most people would say one right away. But yeah. this question may may kind of beg to differ. Where do you think they, they'd rank? Most people would say one, and you did prep me with this question, but I told you I didn't want to give you my answer, and I didn't want to know the answer till we got on air. Um, I'm, I'm going to say four. Josh, with the crystal ball right in front of him, USC would have the fourth-ranked oh. class in the Mid-American Conference, which is – Swear to though God, we love prep me that far. Though we love to um, though we love to build up the Mac, we love some Mac football. Mac, obviously one of the the lesser conferences in college football. USC, one of the top uh, you know sc- schools in the nation when it comes from uh, you know what people want. But USC had the 79th ranked class according to 24/7 behind Toledo at 71, Western Michigan at 74. And um, Bowling Green, who had a pretty tough year at 78, but still recruiting better than the University of Southern that California. Is, so That is I, – I can't come up with a word right now. I, I might have to call the university professor for this one. Like how, do, how in the world does Bowling Green State University in Ohio, in the middle of nowhere Ohio, no offense up there, sorry, 
but like I'm comparing you to Southern California. You're comparing Bowling Green State University and their campus, which is a lovely campus, but but not not compared to the University of Southern California. So if you look at it, because Bowling Green and Toledo both ahead of them, obviously Western Michigan, who's been a decent program, also ahead of them. Not to not to go ahead of that, but uh, you look at if you're a recruit going to Southern California versus basically Toledo, Ohio for both those schools. Which one would you pick? And uh, it looks like the majority of uh, recruits, or at least some of them, are saying maybe it's just the talent in Ohio that they're getting are saying, look, I'd rather go to these places. And, you know, that's kind of a black mark on, on Clay Helton, and you wonder about uh, his seat. But since we're Ohio guys talking about Ohio sports, uh, we're here to build up the MAC. And, and I think that yeah. just shows that the MAC is, is able to, to get some recruits and I, do pretty well. I was just about to say that. Like, I mean, I know, I know, we're carrying. I know we're comparing, you know, Bowling Green to US USC here, but like, it's not to knock the Mac at all. I think, I think it just comes to show you where Ohio football has come as a whole. Like, you look at what we have at the high school level here in Ohio, and some really great teams. Oh my gosh, some 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 fantastic teams, some fantastic resources. Like the resources we have for football in Ohio at the youth level oh my is goodness. incredible. Is incredible. I mean, compared near near the Texas level of resources we have for youth football here. And so the fact that we're finally all tapping into that and I think that just shows that the Mac schools can take that approach too. And can recruit recruit the local guys that aren't getting easily picked off by the Ohio States and the Clemsons, and you know even even to say the Bearcats. Even. Yeah, if they're I mean if they're not getting recruited by a Power Five team, I feel like you know these areas because they have some ni- you know they have some decently nice stadiums, some some you know some decent facilities, and it's just showing that they're able to get the recruits. And you know Ohio being one of the smaller states. Uh, you know, comparative to the, you know, Florida's, Texas, California's, they still have some good football, some good recruits. And I mean, we you see it a lot, especially in the Big Ten, you know, Penn State, uh, you know, Northwestern, Iowa, Michigan State. They have a lot of Ohio guys that come in there and being able to keep a lot of them in Ohio, I think, is great for um And that's great what I mean. I think I think at the at the higher the higher level of collegiate football, not even the higher level, collegiate football in Ohio has taken a look and said, we've got the talent right here. We've got it in state. Let's keep it in state and grow. So that's why I think you see the MAC continuing to be competitive. That's why I think you see UC being so successful in their recruiting and Ohio State being so successful in their recruiting. Like we have so much here. And then when you give, you know, the external stuff through Ohio State and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, we're going to build fantastic recruiting classes here. So it'll be it'll be cool to see uh, some of that new product out on the field next year for some of the guys at least. Yeah, so – We've got uh, a bright future ahead is my speaking point. Speaking of, um, you know, college sports, we're going to shift uh, – kind of shift into over college. Over Oh, yeah, over to uh, the hardwood and some basketball. We're going to start with uh, – you know, a couple of, I wouldn't say tournaments, but kind of showcases that uh, several of the Ohio teams were in. We're going to start off in Columbus with the Ohio State Buckeyes. Went out to uh, Nevada to do the CBS Sports Classic, which is kind of a yearly deal where they rotate uh, playing between uh, Ohio State, uh, Kentucky, North Carolina, and UCLA, which has former uh, 
Bearcat coach Mick Cronin, they ended up losing to uh, UNC in the first game of the CBS Sports Classic. But in the second game, the Ohio State Buckeyes were able to take down Kentucky a five-versus-six matchup. Ohio State 71, UK 65. UK has lost two in a row. They lost to Utah in Vegas earlier this week and lost to Ohio State. Ohio State shooting 50% from the floor. Um, Caleb Wesson had 10 points and eight rebounds. Not his best game, but still able to come out, you know, decently. Uh, DJ Tartan with uh, 15 points off the bench uh, for UK. Uh, Tyrese Maxey had 15 points. Austin Higgins had 14 points. Uh, but this was a really good game all the way through. But at the end, uh, Ohio State able to come out on top and uh, get a very, I mean, impressive win, you know, uh, whenever you can beat a team, especially with the name recognition of Kentucky, it's a it's a huge win for your resume. Yeah, man. I mean, we don't we don't oh, an Ohio State Buckeyes basketball team beating a Kentucky Wildcats basketball team. I mean, we haven't had that in 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 some time. And uh, our our counterpart, my counterpart Zach, would want me to say this, and I and I'm not just saying this because he would want me to say this. Um, now I'm totally drawing a blank on what it was. Um, well, I'll say what I'm sure he'd want us to say. Uh, Ohio State's one of the probably most complete and best teams in the nation. That he'd definitely want us to say, and he'd, he'd, be, he'd be touting off about that if he was here. What I was going to say is that uh, the Buckeyes are 11-1. Had they not had that eight-game break before Minnesota, then I think the, the Buckeyes would have a very good chance. Eight-day break. Eight day break, excuse me, would have a very good chance at being twelve and zero here. I mean, to go a whole over a week without playing and then have to go play an in conference opponent on the I road. On the road, that's pretty. That's pretty rough. Uh, but but yeah, a Buckeyes basketball team to beat a UK Wildcats team that's very rare. And yeah, Caleb Wesson didn't have his great game, but the bench stepped up. You had Ian, uh, EJ Liddell with nine, Washington Junior with eight, and then DJ Carton, yeah, stepping up big. Five for six uh, from the field, uh, one three-pointer. Um, all but two guys that played in this game scored at least, uh, they all had just one three. Uh, Wes, only only Young and Liddell were the only guys that played that didn't hit a three. Um, so that's what I like about Ohio State. So you said they're like a complete team. Yeah, they have that- a lot of players that can score, a, a lot of people that can, can get it done. And as we mentioned, you know, Ohio State is... I mean, shout out to Chris Holtman because I think Mata had done you know the deal where he wouldn't really try to schedule anyone big. But Ohio State has won games over Cincinnati, who's an up and down team, but certainly a name recognized because yeah. they made the playoffs. You know they've made the tournament so many years. They beat Villanova, they beat North Carolina, uh, they beat Kentucky, and they have a chance to uh, beat West Virginia in their last non conference game in a game. Uh, next Sunday in uh, Cleveland. So they certainly have an opportunity to be, you know, to have a great resume. They already have a pretty good resume. So if they can keep it up, you know, I expect them to be a one or two seed and, and someone that could uh, do a lot of damage in March. I mean, they the, the Buckeyes just have, they have a very stout defense, uh, seven blocks yesterday, uh, one at the boards, 33 to 25 on rebounds there. Uh, they just have the stout defense and they have, Got uh, plenty of guys that can shoot the ball. Uh, I mean, you had three guys in double digits, um, near nearly 
five, six guys in double digits yesterday. So when you're spreading the ball around like that on offense and also have that stout defense and also have the depth, you're looking at a team that if they stay healthy, you're looking at a team that can make a run in March. Well, speaking of teams that could possibly make a run in March, we're going to switch over to the Legends Classic in Chicago. Uh, two Ohio teams. Heartbreaker. In that tournament. Uh, we're going to start in the first game. The Dayton Flyers, as you said, lose in an overtime heartbreaker, lose on a buzzer beater three to Colorado. Um, this was weird. O- Obi Toppin, uh, eight of 17 field goals, one of three. Six from three, 17 points. Obi Toppin is a potential lottery pick in the NBA draft. Not quite his best game, but it was one of those games where uh, Dayton was, you know, so many points back, down seven with six minutes left, kept fighting back, kept fighting back, ended up getting to overtime, was up by one with just a few seconds left, and then got beat by the three-pointers. So it's a tough loss for a team, you know, trying to make one more statement against the Colorado team that had been kind of around the top 25 and just a real tough loss to have right here. This is not a bad loss at all. I feel like you can hardly even look at this and say like, cause here's what's, here's the weird thing about this game is that Dayton had won in most every stat category i mean 32 for 64 they shot 50 percent from the field they shot 36 percent from the line that's not great but colorado shot under 40 percent from the field under 30 percent from the arc uh they uh they were out rebounded though uh they were out rebounded and uh 32 rebounds to colorado's 42 they had 14 turnovers and they at one point Dayton had a fourteen point lead, and yeah. especially when you're on these neutral sites, like you, if you have the lead like that, you have to run with that momentum. And when you look at when you look at this on paper, it's a game that Dayton should have won. Yeah, and I mean, looking at it, you know, it's one of those things that um, you have the lead, but in those neutral site games, the momentum can be taken pretty quick because you don't have the the crowd really on either team side this one was in chicago at the united center but i think the big problem for dayton is uh you know they had some big wins in maui had a win at st mary's earlier uh in the month but uh with their only two non-conference games being against uh you know lower competition and grambling in north florida before they start an a10 play you don't really get too much credit in some of these lower conferences, so you need these big wins for as far as seeding. Because I mean, we both think Dayton will be a tournament team, but at this point, Absolutely. you know, you just want those wins because that could be the difference between you know a seed line, a win like this. So it's definitely tough to see, especially in such heartbreaking fashion. Well, and when we talk about getting these non-conference wins for smaller division schools like Dayton. You, it's it's a, oftentimes a lot about what breaks your way. And this was a game where nothing really broke the Flyers' way. I mean, you still, like we talked about them winning in most stat categories, you still had you still had Deshaun Schwartz who hit that three-pointer at the buzzer. That was part of his 20 points. You had McKinley Wright the fourth. He scored a season-high 29 points. So, I mean, you had to have a lot of breaks your, go your way. Like I said, the, the Flyers still had 14 turnovers, were out-rebounded. Uh, they're hanging in there. They're ranked 13th. Um, we'll see the new AP poll come out uh, early this week. But yeah, yeah tomorrow. Dayton, Dayton definitely a uh, definitely a March team. 
an unfortunate thing here. I really hope they don't drop too far because I really like to think that this was not a bad loss, hardly a loss at all. Um, yeah, like you said, Obi Toppin, not his best night. So regroup, move on. Yeah, so keep, keep uh, flying, fly, flyers, fly. Maybe not, maybe not a win that they needed to have, but certainly a nice one to have. Speaking of a win that might have been needed that they couldn't get, uh, Cincinnati uh, in the second game after a big win at home against Tennessee early this week, uh, trying to get the win at Iowa. Maybe those two big wins right before um, conference play starts could kind of wipe out some of those bad losses against Bowling Green and Colgate. Unfortunately. Drop 77 to 70 against Iowa in Chicago. Of course, they lost to Iowa in the tournament last year. Um, the one thing that I will say, UC was down 15, uh, 50 to 35, with just under 17 minutes left in the game. Able to battle back, get a two point lead, 64 62, then uh, proceeded to go one for seven from the floor and lost. Um, did win the turnover battle 24 to 7 and that was one of the things that got UC back into the to the game subbed in uh point guard Chris McNeil who was the starter who had gotten benched uh came in got a bunch of steals when they started to go to that press but uh it was one of those things that you know you got to be able to score to win the game and uh the two top offensive players for UC uh Keith Williams was 2 for 3 or 2 for 13 yeah. from the field 0 for 3 from 3, only 8 points. Jaron Cumberland, 6 of 16. 3 of 8 from 3, 18 points. UC shot 35% from the floor, 25 from 3, while Iowa shot 46% from uh, both the field and from 3. UC had 22 more shots, 17 less turnovers. Could not get it done. And um, I only got to watch about the second half of this game. But the one moment that I will say kind of changed the game at the end was UC was able to take a two-point lead, and uh, they were up 64-62. Iowa took a three, missed it. Uh, It looked like Chris Vogt was able to have a rebound, but Luca Garza, who had uh, 13 rebounds in the game, took the rebound away from him, able to kick it out for a three, which Iowa made, and it just kind of started a landslide from there. Very tough loss, and it's just one of those things. If just a few more shots fall, you can see this brain and system if we get some, you know, if the team can get some more shooting. So uh, I'll offer you my crazy stat of the game, uh, and then and then I'll dive into it a little bit. So uh, there was a, t- a very typical and a very atypical thing of the Bearcats. Typical, they could not shoot. Uh, atypical... Uh, they were out-rebounded. I mean, the Bearcats are known for their toughness and rebounding, uh, but uh, the atypical, the really uh, weird thing was the seven turnovers. They only had seven turnovers. Iowa had 24. Yeah, and that's one of the things that they had struggled with early in the year that was kind of costing them in games is the amount of turnovers. So they were able to limit the turnovers, but... Well, so Iowa missed 10 free throws and was minus 17 on turnovers. But they were plus 17 on rebounds. So when you, you have to play a complete game, and that's, I think, what we keep seeing from the Bearcats is that we can't quite get a complete game. Uh, the game against Tennessee, I will say, that was a very complete game, a very sound game by the Bearcats. 
but you can't get a complete game. I mean, you allowed a team to beat you by seven when they missed 10 free throws, free throws, excuse me, and were minus 17 on turnovers. So you're not doing yourself any favors there when you dominate a team like that on the boards, uh, or excuse me, on turnovers, and then let them beat you at the boards like that. Couple that with the atrocious shooting, 34% from the field, only 25% uh, from the arc. Uh, you know, you cannot let a team beat you like that in so many phases of the game um, when, I don't know, it was weird because at times they were so in control of this game, but then at other times never really had a chance because of their shooting. Uh, yeah, Keith Williams... Had to see that coming eventually. He's been on too much of a tear, but hopefully the Bearcats can uh, bounce back here. Um, again, a neutral site game against a, a tough Iowa team. Yeah, so not a terrible loss, but so they finish off non-conference play at seven and five. Uh, gonna need to play pretty well in conference play or win the tournament if they want any shot of uh, uh, win the conference tournament if they want any shot of making the NCAA tournament. But I think the one thing that this shows is, uh, you know, Brandon kind of has a system. Um, you know, I don't know how much of, you know, some of these guys fit the system, and I'm not going to give him a pass because, you know, I think he's got enough talent that, uh, you know, they should be a better team than they are. But will be interesting to see in the future. And speaking of the future, future. Uh, late last night at uh, 1 o'clock a.m. Eastern, uh, UC got a commit from Tari Eason, who was actually in Hawaii for a tournament, but he was a, uh, a recruit from Washington, uh, I believe a three-star recruit, uh, power forward. So nice to see Brandon get another recruit so far, has four recruits in the class coming up. So uh, hopefully at this point, Brandon's starting to get his guys. So will be interesting to see in the next couple years how this team maybe transforms and uh, once Brandon, I guess, starts to quote-unquote get his guys, uh, you know, will be interesting to see how this UC team does. Yeah, I, I was glad to see that the fan base didn't really, like, freak out over this loss too much, and I think some of the panic has calmed down a little bit, you know. Like, like I always, everyone always says with the new coach, like, patience. Like, just let, let everything fall into place. Uh, I think the Bearcats are in a better place than they could be right now. Yeah, and I think one of the things that you have to realize is, you know, a, a coach like Luke Fickle, uh, you know, had a difficult first year, went 4-8, and eight, and then has come back and had back-to-back double-digit win seasons. So it could just be, you know— give him some time to kind of implement his system. And we've kind of seen it throughout the year that, uh, you know, he's had some, um, there have been some bumps in the road to implementing his system. Uh, going to the other side of town and speaking of a coach that's in his second year trying to uh, implement his system, Travis Steele uh, with Xavier. Uh, after a loss to Wake Forest last weekend, uh, we're able to beat Western Carolina they have their final game of non-conference against TCU at five tonight. Uh, not really a whole lot to say about that with uh, just a win over, obviously an overmatched Western Carolina team. But you can certainly see with a coach like Travis Steele, they're starting to find his defensive identity. And it's one of those things that, you know, when you can look across town as a UC fan, maybe you can hope, you know, uh, Xavier was a team last year in Steele's first year that kind of struggled in the first half of the year and then kind of turned it on at the end. 
So uh, we'll be interesting to see how both teams kind of grow throughout this year. Yeah, I, I still am not convinced that the Bearcats can uh, put together a convincing resume to make the tournament. I think there's absolutely a chance, but uh, as Xavier, as always, still will tap into that momentum come April. And uh, I, I don't think Xavier can make the uh, magical deep run that we've seen with some of these teams, but definitely a tournament team. Yeah, so we'll be interesting to see. Uh, obviously, on 30 Rack, uh, we will keep you updated through March on how all these Ohio um, basketball teams are going to do. Uh, from one round ball to another round ball, um, a big week in Major League Soccer for the Columbus crew. Uh, one huge signing and one also pretty big signing. Um, the Columbus crew... Uh, sent out a club record $7 million for a transfer. And basically in soccer, instead of trading, uh, a lot of what they do is they kind of buy players from other teams. So they sent $7 million to uh, Mexican team Tigres for uh, midfielder Lucas Zellerian. Uh He had 24 goals and 14 assists in 139 games. Uh, huge signing for them. Uh Big piece, uh, you know, talented piece. Obviously, they paid a hefty sum for him. But after losing uh, Federico Higuain uh, last year, there was certainly a giant hole in their midfield that I think he should be able to to shore up pretty yeah. well, and that could really bode well for the crew this year. Yeah, Zalorian's definitely uh, a, a great number 10 guy there to have, a huge pickup for the crew, record pickup for the crew. Um, this will be interesting, though, because uh, he will be a designated player, so the crew will have to make an adjustment to at least two contracts, either Luis Diaz, Pedro Santos, uh, Valenzuela, uh, or Zardes um, with, tar- uh, with some TAM there. So you will have to do a little restructuring there, but I think everyone will be just happy to do a tiny little bit of uh, restructuring on their contracts to get Zalarian in there because this is a guy uh, who's 23 goals, 14 assists over 100 appearances in a couple of years with Tigres. Um, if you haven't watched this guy's highlight reel, I highly encourage you to go oh, do it. Oh, it's wonderful. Um, uh, Major League Soccer on Twitter has posted it. The Columbus Crew posts it. This guy has such an incredible yeah, highlight Yeah, we'll retweet reel. it on our, on our uh, site. It's, uh, it's certainly cool to watch. Some of his, uh, some of his, uh, uh, his uh, free kicks that he has taken, uh, just the way this guy can cut through a defense, the way this guy uh, passes – he is definitely a number 10. He's definitely a creator. And uh, quite frankly, as an FC Cincinnati fan, uh, I'm a little uh, frightened for the Hell is Real Derby now. Yeah, so uh, also to look at it, uh, the crew signed um, 31-year-old uh, Dutch uh, defender um, Vito Wormger, who was in Norway, uh, had played his youth career with Ajax, who's the kind of the power in the Netherlands League. Um they were talking about how he's kind of a vocal leader of the defense. So also, um, you know, a pretty big pickup for the crew. So, you know, two nice pieces and something after kind of a, a disappointing year for the crew is is nice to kind of see them um, bounce back a little bit. Should be interesting. I'm, I'm ready for uh, American soccer to get back going here. Uh, speaking of getting back going, Greg, you know who's getting back to going? Who? The Columbus Blue Jackets. They, they're they getting going right now. 
Uh, we've got uh, a seven-game point streak going on right now. Uh, Bjorkstrand carrying that load right there. And then uh, the, ga- the the Jackets are on a four-game win streak. They're tied with uh, Toronto. Um, those are the two teams that have a four-game win streak. Only uh, the St. Louis Blues, who have a five-game win streak, are on a hotter tear than the Blue Jackets right now. Yeah, uh, just to clean up one thing real quick for the crew, uh, the Hell is Real Derbies, as the uh, schedule was just released oh, yeah. this week. Excuse me, yeah. Um, the first matchup in Cincinnati is on uh, July 19th, while the second game in Columbus is on Saturday, August 22nd. But going back to the other team in Columbus, the Blue Jackets, as you said, um, the Blue Jackets have been 4-0 and this week. Absolute tear. Uh, wins over some pretty good teams, too. Uh, beat the Capitals and then also some, you know, kind of lower teams. But teams that, you know, you can beat, you should beat. So uh, Bjorkstrand had seven points during that four-game winning streak. And then also Jonas Corposalo, who's kind of been up and down, taking over the starting uh, goalkeeper ranks from uh, Bobrovsky, who left for Florida, has had a 939 save percentage in the last four games, which is almost uh, 30 points higher than his average for the year. So uh, defense has stepped up big, offense has stepped up big, and though the Jackets are still seven points out of a wild card spot, Good to see them finally showing some life after a little bit of floundering earlier this season. Yeah, I mean, uh, Corpus Allo, uh was so impressive in that game against Washington. Uh, 30 saves, kept a clean sheet against the Capitals. Against the Capitals. You have yeah, Bjork- who were one of the best teams in the league. Yeah, Bjorkstrand had two goals. Uh, I think it was Robinson who had, yeah, Rob- Eric Robinson had the third goal in that game. Uh, I mean, they shut out the Capitals. That was That was what set all this off. Um, and yeah, have had had that shootout with uh, the Red Wings, as we saw two horrible defenses on display there. Yeah. So uh, if any of you didn't watch that game, um, fun game, but <laughs> well, fun game to some degree. Um, if you like scoring, <laughs> the Blue Jackets were very much outplaying the Red Wings, but the Red Wings had, I believe, three goals on their first nine or ten shots. So uh, kind of a tough game, but a big bounce back for them to be able to kind of take control and win that game. so And then, yeah, got the squeaked one out, uh, came from behind to send it into overtime against the L.A. Kings, ended up winning in overtime there, and then, yeah, took a took the smack to the Devils last night in Columbus. Yeah, so we'll certainly be something that we'll kind of uh, keep our uh, you know finger on the pulse there for the Jackets, see if they can kind of make a run after uh, – you know, kind of being in the back of the league right now. Uh, if any of you do not remember, uh, the St. Louis Blues, who won the Stanley Cup last year, had one of the worst records at about the time this year, or at about this time last year. So um, certainly know. will be something to, to kind of keep track you of. You never know. Um, speaking mean, of winter sports teams in Ohio, also just to kind of clean that up, uh, the Cavs went 2-1 and one this week to get them up to eight wins this season after a loss at Toronto. Wins at home against Charlotte and Memphis. Uh, Colin Sexton has really come on. He had 23 points against Charlotte. Clarkson with 33 points against Memphis. Though you're not expecting a whole lot of this Cavs team after kind of uh, some of those words coming out 
uh, you know, against Coach John Beeline, it seems like the team's kind of come together and uh, has played a little bit better in, in recent weeks, Josh. Yeah, I think the Cavs um, are making the slow climb. Uh, I, had a, I had a few people actually uh, really upset with me about, not upset with me, upset with Kevin Love um, and the whole uh, dunk, uh, him getting dunked on by uh, Morant there uh, on one of the most insane dunks I have ever seen. And a couple of them said that the Cavs were in a bad place mentally and, you know, don't care and everything. And I know we touched on this a little bit last time, but, you know, it, it, you, you, have to, you have to take baby steps with this team right now. Yeah, you just got to find out what you can. And, I mean, they have a lot of, you know, a lot of expiring contracts. So uh, if, um, if they can get through this, then, uh, you know... Um, then then they'll be in pretty good shape. So uh, that kind of wraps up our our winter sports. To go to spring sports, um, the hot stove league. We have the hot stove league. Uh, the um, the Indians uh, allegedly have asked for final offers for Francisco Lindor. Uh, we're looking even at this point to see if there are any offers or if anything has happened with Lindor. But right now it looks like the Indians are uh, kind of determined to sell and will be interesting to see what they can get for Lindor. Uh, you know, you've heard uh, the Dodgers, the Padres, the Nationals, the Phillies, and even recently the Reds. So we'll be interesting to see uh, who comes out on top of the Lindor sweepstakes and, and what the Indians can get. As I look on uh, Twitter, ESPN, Fox Sports, and Facebook right now, as we record about 3 o'clock Sunday afternoon, it appears that the Dodgers are definitely pulling away as the favorites with the Reds also as potential favorites there. So it seems to be down between the Los Angeles Dodgers and the Cincinnati Reds. Um, What's interesting about that, is that the Los Angeles Dodgers and the Cincinnati Reds have a history of, as do the Cleveland Indians in this mix, actually, of creating some very bizarre, out of nowhere, not out of nowhere this year, I guess, blockbuster three-way trades. Um, so I don't, I would not be surprised if we saw something crazy happen there with that. Um, but I definitely think the Dodgers are the favorite to land Francisco Lindor. You said that the Indians are definitely, it appears, they're trying to move him now. Um, having said that, though, I still wouldn't be surprised if they didn't move him this year. So uh, just to kind of keep everyone up to speed, um, there's been a lot of shedding payroll in the uh, for the Indians right now and what it looks like in all intents and purposes is that... Um, the Dolans, who own the Indians, are trying to save their money, cut payroll, take as much money as they can, and then maybe in the next couple of years sell the team. So it will be interesting to see what happens there, what happens with payroll, and I guess what they can get out of Lindor. So uh, certainly some big, um, certainly some big moves potentially happening, and uh, be sure to check in on Thirty Rack Podcast on Twitter and Facebook to see if any news happens. Uh, we will probably have our comments as we start to get into some Ohio segments. Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see what happens there over the next few years with the Indians and payroll. We're gonna uh, 
Later on in the show, we'll be uh, discussing some MLB payroll and what's going on there. Some uh, payroll to war uh, correlations there. But yeah, let's get into uh, some Ohio segments. Uh, This is uh, the week of Christmas. Uh, So if you have a Christmas wish list for your favorite Ohio sports team, please let us know at 30 Rack Podcast uh, on Twitter and Facebook. Um, I got to sh- throw a shout out to uh, my boy Bobby on the beats this year. Had uh, was with me on Kent State on the plus seven there. Um, and I have to give a shout out to our uh, co-host, Zark, who isn't here, uh, who got really sick of my golden flash puns uh, that I was throwing at you two in our group chat that night. Um, really jumped out into the lead in the golden flash here, though, I, I think so. If I can keep the momentum, I might have this bull pick them in the bag. But we'll keep you, we'll get you a full update on our bull pick later. Right now, we have some segments to get into, and we've done some Christmas themed segments over the past couple weeks. Um, so we'll have one of those. Before we get to that, um, I touched on it just a minute ago as we were talking about the Cavs. Kevin Love uh, was assaulted under the basket the other night. Yeah, so uh, Kevin Love almost. Got jumped over for a dunk by John Morant uh, during the game uh, earlier this week against the Memphis Grizzlies. Kevin Love was going to try to take a charge against John Morant, point guard and second overall pick of the Memphis Grizzlies. John Morant almost jumped right over Kevin Love and just missed the dunk. So we're going to take that into uh, you know one of the more embarrassing moments for Kevin Love in his career. Uh, you know, a lot of comments on Twitter that he almost died at that point getting dunked over by by him. So uh, we want to move it into most embarrassing sports moment that either you caused or uh, happened to you. So I'm going to kick it to you, Josh. Uh, what do you have as far as embarrassing sports moments? I would love it if people would actually tweet us or comment us on Twitter or Facebook at 30 Rack Podcast. I would love to hear some of these stories. Uh, my embarrassing sports moment comes from only a couple months ago um, uh, when we were out on our uh, co-ed soccer league. And, uh, you know, there was a couple there was a couple seconds left. It's co-ed soccer, so you kind of just are asking the ref you know, every couple minutes, you know, how much time and everything. Uh, wasn't a whole lot of time left in the half, and I rushed to uh, take a corner kick and, you know, kind of just, you know, dropped the ball down and went, um, and I did not line up. I, I am right-footed. Um, for those of you that don't know, that means that I typically would come down the sideline to take my kick. Um, I lined up on the baseline and thought I was left-footed for some reason, and uh, I was telling you beforehand, I was like, I think technically I could have taken it again because it never came in, but it was, a, it was definitely a shankopotamus. Um, as I am not left-footed, I did not line up correctly, and both my team and the other team were kind of just like, "You can, you can go home now." <laughs> so yeah, um, tons of embarrassing sports moments. Um, for me, honestly, it's it's tough for me to remember because I have so many. You know, dropping balls in baseball, uh, getting run over in football when when I was a youth. But the one thing that comes to mind in an embarrassing sports moment. For anybody that knows me, um, I'm not the tallest of fellows, but I'm a big basketball fan. So the one way I was good at basketball was uh, effort. 
And I remember playing in a tournament as probably Scrap, a scrappy little fella. Oh, scrappy. I was a kid that would not leave a game without three or four scrapes on the knee. So uh, in a tournament in about seventh grade, we had a um, matchup against a team with a relatively tall kid, you know, probably, you know, 6'4", 6'6", something like that, who was just killing us with rebounds. You know, we were down probably 20, which is huge in, uh, yeah. you know, in seventh grade basketball. So finally, at one point, my, my coach was kind of sick of it and just wanted someone with effort to guard him. So put me in on him. Uh, you know, I was working to box him out, and I was starting to frustrate a lo- him a little bit because I would just, you know, put my butt into, you know, uh, into his sternum, you know, try to just keep him away from the ball. So there was one time I was able to get a rebound. He was reaching over me. This Goliath of a human being knocks me down. I fall over. He tumbles over, hits his head, ends up uh, in tears leaving the game. My coach looks at me and is like, yo, man, are, are you okay? And I just put my thumbs up, go right ahead. So this little, you know, at that point I was probably 5'4", five, 5'5". Five, five. Right took a kid that was almost a foot taller than me and made him cry and get out of the game because of just uh, effort and and getting people out. So always interesting to see, uh, you know, the little guy kind of come out on top. And uh, I'm sure being that kid, a little bit embarrassing to see a kid that's that much shorter. That's how you know Uh, Greg's a a real Ohio boy sports fighter. You know, scrappy, sticks it in there, sticks it to the big guy. But uh, we'd love to hear. I'd love to hear Zach's. We're going to have to get Zach's uh, embarrassing sports story. Um, I imagine it'll be baseball related. Uh, So we'll see if we can't get his embarrassing take on Twitter or on our next episode. We'd love to hear your embarrassing sports moments that have either happened to yourself or you've done to others at 30 Rack Podcast on Twitter and Facebook. Well, speaking of something that we're going to put out on 30 Rack Podcast at Twitter and Facebook, our second segment of course, Christmas season, uh, we've been asking these Christmas questions, gingerbread houses, uh, light displays. The question that we have for this week is, which Ohio sports group would you like to go caroling with? Now, this could be an offensive line, a, a unit, maybe a starting unit from a team. Um, an absolute unit. An absolute unit. Um, Josh, what Ohio sports group are you picking to want to go caroling with? Uh, to go caroling with, that's a tough one because you have to think, do you want to be like, are you going barbershop quartet style? Are you going, you know, big group in your face style? You know, what are, how many harmonies do you want and everything? Uh, if I had to make a decision here, if I had to make a decision on this, I think I'd have to go with the Ohio Bobcats special teams Ohio Bobcats special teams what a out there pick yeah pretty out there right so here's 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 my reasoning for it is one it's Athens two it's special teams boom you got a show like you get you get those guys to adore to start singing some Christmas songs we got a show I think we got a show with the Ohio Bobcats special teams I'll go caroling with them door to door in Athens I'll be there next Thursday Let's uh, let's do it. All right. So uh, mine wasn't exactly in the same vein as yours. Just I guess picking the most off the wall pick. I had to think about it. Um, anybody that has heard me sing and really has heard my voice in general knows that it's not the best. 
So you got to think, who could have a worse voice than me to maybe drown it out? Are, are, well, you, going, people, are you going caroling with Tom Brenneman? <laughs> man, that'd be something, man. You and you and Tom showing up to the front doors doing a little duet. Yeah, me, Tom, and Dave Lapham. <laughs> but uh, not quite. The team that I would pick would be the Columbus Blue Jackets. My thought, a lot of guys not from America, a lot of interesting accents, a lot of uh, weird noises to drown out my voice. If I had to go caroling with anyone, it would be the Columbus Blue Jackets. Uh, so you're picking them out of self-defense pretty much. So yep, you can get yep. all the, uh, some of the uh, accents in there to drown it out. I, I, I like it. That's a smart pick. That's a smart pick. I almost went with, um, with like a minor league, like the Monsters or the Cyclones or like a Toledo Rockets, you know, bowling team or something like that i want some something out there that you show up to someone's house and they're like who are these guys like you don't they don't even know that you're part of well i think you did a pretty good job with uh with the ohio bobcats team uh next we're gonna go uh before we switch into national news as we like to do big ohio beer guys big beer guys in general uh we're gonna do another hit for um Blue Heron Beer Blog, uh, once again, the English porter that we are drinking today. Um, during the course of the first segment, I've had two glasses, and I will say, great beer, fantastic beer, goes down easy, it's got the very nice English malt. Josh, what are your thoughts before you get into the rest of the beer news? Uh, it's very good. It's, uh, for a dark beer, it's very light for a dark beer, um, and I love, uh, the malt on this is very nice. Um, I think that'd have to be my favorite part about it is the roastiness and the maltiness. Um, and that it's also a, a very drinkable dark beer. Um, oh, thank you, sir, filling me up over there. Uh, so, yeah, I got to give a shout out to uh, uh, Blue Herring. I've uh, never In he- Medina. Yeah, never heard of them. Um, in Medina, Medina, um, potato, potato. So we finally get some uh, another Clevelander beer out here. And yeah, if you've got a beer suggestion for us, we are very uh, open to suggestions. We would love suggestions. So if you're up there in Toledo, um, you know, give us some beer suggestions from up there. Out in Southeast Ohio, I've only done Southeast, one beer from yeah. there. So Columbus, any anywhere, you know, uh, if there's beer out there, we want to drink it. So I've got some Ohio beer news, but can you dig it? Because it's can news. Can you dig it? So, uh, Wolf's Ridge Brewing, uh, Wolf's Ridge Brewing, excuse me, um, they have a new production facility in Columbus, Ohio, and that has allowed them to do some distributing, some cans. So, uh, Hot Pink, um, an IPA, uh, that's gonna be debuting soon. Um, they're gonna have all their flagship brews uh, to be in cans. So that is coming soon for Wolf Wolf Ridge Brewing uh, in Columbus. They'll be distributing in cans soon. And then this is a huge, this is actually some pretty big news here for Ohio uh, beers. Uh, Great Lakes Brewing, they are debuting some cans. Uh, They will have a new beer and new cans. Uh, That's all coming in 2020 as well. Uh, obviously, the Dortmunder Gold, uh, that'll be in a can. The new Great Lakes IPA, uh, that's just what it is, Great Lakes IPA, uh, that'll be in cans. 
and then they'll have the seasonal Mex Mexican lager with lime. That'll be canned, and that'll change over to the Dunkelweizen uh, in January, and the Siren Shores Passion Fruit Saison will be in May. So pretty cool stuff from Great Lakes Brewing there as we see some cans coming out. Uh, more cans coming out all over Ohio. Um, also, um, if you are like us and love Ohio beer and like to stay in touch on that, um, we get all our Ohio beer news from ohiocraftbeer.org. It's the Ohio Craft Brewers Association website. Uh, it sounds like they're doing a little bit of a uh, remake, um, and we want to thank them for all the work they do. Um, it sounds like they're doing a little bit of a remake of their website in 2020. Um, so we want to thank them for all of the beers they've covered um, of, from over 2,000 beers from over 225 breweries around Ohio. We have to thank them for all their service and all they do to support the Ohio craft beer community. All righty, Josh. Well, thanks for that beer hit. Now we will move into the news, not just in Ohio, but a little bit of national news. Yeah, news. More news. All right, so to start up the national news, as we kind of mentioned earlier, we will do our hot stove roundup. Uh, the hot stove keeps on cooking the week after the winter meetings. It's making me hungry. To start off, we have the Chicago White Sox with three big signings. The biggest, uh, Dallas Keuchel, with a three-year, $55.5 million deal, along with signings of Gio Gonzalez and Yasmani Grandal. Uh, Detroit signs Jonathan Shoup and CJ Crone. So uh, some big moves being made in the AL Central, uh, which would affect one of the Ohio teams with the Cleveland Indians also in the division with both these teams. Josh, thoughts? Uh, I think the most interesting thing in the Hot Stove League so far has been the Chicago White Sox. Um and I think they finally reached that point. I mean, the White Sox have had seven consecutive losing seasons. They were one of four teams in the decade to not make a postseason. Oh, we'll get to that in just a second. Easy. Uh, no playoff series victories since they won the series in 2005. And now they're, they're making all these deals, and they're doing that by increasing payroll. Uh, as it stands right now, uh, their payroll is inc increasing from $114 million to $130 million. And what they're doing is, I think, something that we talked touched a little bit on it last week uh, with Zach Zinger and the Scott Boris saying that Moneyball is dead. But I think you've seen some real interesting bargains here in the Hot Stove League, as we've pointed out. Like with the White Sox, you look at the four main guys they've acquired. And Yasmani Grandal, a 2.5 uh, war. Uh, Keuchel, a 2.0 war. And then they also traded for uh, right fielder Nomar Mazzara from the Rangers, a 1.8 war. And then they signed Gio Gonzalez to a, uh, a one-year, $5 million contract, a 1.7 war. You know, you're getting a lot of bargains here. As we saw, the big boom in the market with the huge deals and everything. Now you're seeing some small deals from some guys that still have around that two-point. I mean, look at the Reds signing Wade Miley to two years for $15 million, You get a pitcher there, the 2.0 war. Like, Yeah, so it definitely seems like uh, you know both the Reds and the White Sox are kind of getting towards the end of their rebuild, maybe trying to accelerate it a little bit and, and trying to find some guys that can move them from, you know, uh, pretenders or guys that, you know, kind of stick around for half the season to 
real contenders. So uh, we will keep you, uh, you know, we'll keep our button right on the pulse for the rest of the hot stove. Uh, obviously, still many big players out there, such as Ozuna and Castellanos, for uh, for outfielders that uh, the Reds are kind of looking into, as long as or as well as a Francisco Lindor trade. Yeah, we'll see. Which what may ha- be coming up soon. We'll see what happens with the Francisco Lindor. Just just to run down to recap real quick for everyone. Garrett Cole signed with the Yankees, nine year contract. Um, we had uh, Steven Strasburg with a surprising move to stay with Washington uh, in a new seven year contract. Uh, seven years for Ant. Ant- Anthony Rendon, excuse me, went to the Angels. It's a big middle-of-the-lineup addition there. Yasmani Grandal, as we said, went to the White Sox. You had Zach Wheeler, who signed with the Phillies, five-year contract. Uh, Donaldson um, has declined an offer. Um, Madison Baumgartner signed a five-year contract with, um, uh, excuse me. um, The Arizona Diamondbacks. Arizona Diamondbacks, yeah. Uh, We had the huge surprise there. Um, you still have uh, uh, Ryu uh, from the Dodgers, who's still a free agent. You still have a lot of a lot of big names, a lot still of big out name there. pitchers, a few big name outfielders that are still there. So uh, when we return with our regular episode, uh, we've got the special edition episode next week. So yes. we won't really touch on any of this. So beginning of the year will be interesting to see. You know, some of those big players uh, from last year held on to you know spring training into the beginning of the year. You know, with some of the pitchers. So we'll be interesting to see who stays out there, and uh, who gets uh, gobbled up by some of the teams by our next episode in two weeks. Moving on to our second segment, as Josh alluded to, uh, there were four teams in Major League Baseball to not make the playoffs this decade. Uh, Josh, in the 2010s, there were seven teams to not make the playoffs, four in the MLB, two in the NFL, one in the NBA. No, none in NHL, actually. All teams made the playoffs mm-hmm. in the last decade. So I guess the first question comes out to you. So in baseball, the four teams to not make the playoffs, the Seattle Mariners, who have not made it since uh, just around the turn of the century. Which is outrageous. The Miami Marlins, the San Diego Padres, and the Chicago White Sox, who had a championship in 2005. Um, in the NFL, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who won the uh, Super Bowl in 2002, and uh, my beloved Cleveland Browns, who have not made the playoffs since 2002. Um, in the NBA, the Sacramento Kings failed to make the playoffs in the last decade with some good runs in the mid-2000s, but have kind of fallen off since there. Well, Josh, I guess my first question for you is, the Kings obviously have an opportunity this year with their season going into 2020, but uh, of these seven teams... Which one do you see making the playoffs the soonest, starting in the 2020s? Um, Obviously, the I, Browns still alive right now, I'm not, kind of faltering against the Ravens, so it's looking like that that playoff series might be, that playoff dream might be over. So, Really quick, some breaking news in that Browns-Ravens game, um, and obviously we're recording as this is happening, so it's breaking news to us, and we'll uh, hopefully have an update tweeted out to, tomorrow, but Mark Ingram did leave the game. Um, for the Ravens in the fourth quarter. Browns are down 21 to 9 at that point. But going back to the question, Josh, yes. who do you think will be the first team out of these seven that failed to get into the playoffs in the 2010s? Which one do you think will make it to the playoffs? Um, I want to say my gut says the White Sox right now. Um, 
but the only thing about the White Sox that I'm not sure about is that the White Sox, the argument for the White Sox is the same argument for the Reds a little bit, is that you added pieces, you added pieces, um, and you really didn't get anywhere. I know you want me to pick the Browns, but you you asked me you asked me who would get there the soonest, and the Browns are not getting there the soonest. I'll tell you that right now. You shut up. I, I, I just don't see it happening. They're a little bit of a mess right now with their coach. I mean, we were sitting there in our pregame meeting, and all of a sudden Urban Meyer was trending number one because there's some rumor about he might be the new coach of the Browns, which, good Lord, um, if that happens. But I definitely think the White Sox, I think the White Sox have made the adjustments. Uh, do I think they – we're just talking make the playoffs, correct? Yeah, first one to make the playoffs out of those seven teams. I think the I think the White Sox can make the playoffs in the next two years. Do I think they can win a playoff series? That's a different story. How about yourself? Um, so I'm actually going to go in a little bit of a different mode. Normally, I would say the Browns because I think the Browns can make the playoffs next year, and I think they're a you know they're a team that that can really get there. But actually, my choice is uh, maybe going to be someone that you didn't expect. Mine is actually going to be the Sacramento Kings. First off, um, you know, obviously they'd have the first opportunity with the uh, with their season ending in April. But second off, as far as the two winter sports that play 82 games, the only team that has not made the playoffs in that decade is the Sacramento Kings. Over half the league in the NBA makes the playoffs. Right now, the Kings currently in the nine seed, a game and a half out of the playoffs. Uh, they certainly have some players. Um, you know, um, De'Aaron Fox has been kind of hurt. They've had a few injuries around there, but I think they're certainly a team that you could see kind of go on a little run, maybe squeak in at the eight seed as the Western Conference is a little bit weaker. So uh, my first choice would be the Kings, but if not, Browns 2020 Super Bowl. How do you feel about that? Uh, how do I feel about the Kings or the Browns 2020 Super Bowl? If it's the Browns 2020 yes. Super Bowl, I know a few good doctors that you could see um, and we can get you fixed up because um, you've said a similar thing to me for the past, how, how long have I known you? A couple years now. At least 12 years. <laughs> um, but no, I definitely, with the Kings there, I definitely could see that happening. Uh, like you said, I mean, the Western Conference is a little weaker, that, not a little weaker this year. Pretty weak this year. Um, they're sitting at the nine seed right now, and yeah, half the league makes the playoffs. So like, why shouldn't you be able to? But yeah, you have uh, Bagley, uh, Holmes, Barnes, uh, Fox, uh, Justin James. Like, you have all, you have some depth. Finally, you have a lot of pieces there. You're sitting at the nine seed still, uh, but uh, I don't know if you know where the Kings franchise spent some of their time and i think that uh, the shadow realm the shadow realm is still within them and that they will sit at the nine seed for the rest of the year all right well uh be sure to tweet at us uh who do you think will be the first team out of those seven to make the playoffs uh if you don't pick the browns i will be disappointed in you you will get no likes from me if you don't pick the browns but uh i understand cole in your stocking this year Uh, cole's always in my stocking i'm a browns fan thank you but uh moving on to some of our national segments um for any of you that follow us on twitter at 30 rack podcast uh, we tweeted out 
a little bowl pick in between the guys of the 30 rack. Uh, myself, Zach, and Josh all filled out our picks for this bowl season. Um, we had one point for all the regular bowls, two points for the New Year's Six Bowls, three points for the College Football Playoff Bowls, and uh, five points for the National Championship. Uh, so far, through the first eight bowls, Josh with a lead of five points, Zach in second with four oh, points, Kent State. and uh, the come-from-behind winner, a lot of experts are saying, myself with three points, so uh, all on UCF in the next bowl on the 23rd, uh, two of the three of us with Hawaii on the 24th, but obviously the big point ones, the college football playoff, all on LSU. Um, I'm the only one on Clemson for the uh, Clemson-Ohio State game. And then for the national championship, I have Clemson. Zach has Ohio State. You have LSU, Josh. That's that's the interesting thing is that all three of your 30 Rack of Sports hosts have a different uh, national champion uh, picked out here. But it's definitely interesting uh, when I was going through, uh, you guys had got your picks in before me, and it was interesting to see your picks um, in some of the games that, for example, Zach picked uh, UAB over App State. You and I both picked App State. App State was a big favorite in that game. Uh, you're the only one that has picked uh, Miami, Florida, to win over uh, uh, Louisiana Tech. It's a Canes thing. Yeah, apparently. Um, but yeah, uh, this is available on um, 30 Rack of Sports on Twitter. Um, I'm actually going to uh, pin this for us on our profile so uh, you can. It'll be right there for all to see as we go through the bowl season, but it's been a fun bowl season so far. I know we've only had a couple games, but honestly, that Kent State-Utah State was enough fun for me to cover the whole first week. That was awesome. Yeah, so uh, we'll be tweeting some updates with some standings as bowl season goes on. Uh, Be sure to uh, follow along at 30 Rack Podcast. Uh, Tweeted us your picks as as well as who you think has terrible picks, that would be Zach and Josh who have the terrible picks. So uh, be sure to follow along. We do have uh, Zach and I's favorite bull, the Gasparilla, Sasparilla. Zach the Killer uh, has picked in the Gasparilla Bowl uh, UCF, as have you and I. We've all got uh, Central Florida win that game. But on Christmas Eve, there is one bowl game, the Hawaii Bowl, uh, and the Hawaii uh, Rainbow Warriors. The Bows. Uh, will be taking on BYU. The Mormons. Greg, you and I are together on this one. We've got uh, the uh, Rainbow Warriors, Hawaii, picked in that. Uh, Zach is taking BYU in that game. So uh, Christmas Eve, we'll, uh, we'll see our standings shift uh, one way or another on Christmas Eve. Uh, Christmas is a couple days away, so please uh, join the 30 Rack family. Uh, throw a few coins down on uh, these games. That's why I'm winning is because I haven't thrown any coins on anything yet. So if you guys ever want to jump into the lead, just let me know and I'll start betting on the bowls again. Yeah, so uh, we'll, we'll see about that. Uh, you know, as Christmas comes and Frosty the Snowman makes his voice heard. Speaking of Frosty and Frosty the Snowman, uh, or Frosties, going, uh, going into our second segment, um, last night in the 
Washington Wizards, uh, Philadelphia 76ers NBA game, Isaiah Thomas was ejected with three minutes left in the game with the Wizards trailing after uh, he had missed a free throw, then made the second free throw, had gotten flipped off by a fan, and then had gotten some obscenities yelled at him. Then during the timeout following shortly after, it was yelled more obscenities and went into the stands to confront the fan. The fan, in response to uh, Isaiah Thomas asking basically what the hell, um, had responded, sorry, man, I just wanted a free Frosty. And if you would have missed both free throws, we would have gotten a free Frosty. So our question is, how many free Frosties would it take for you to com- confront Isaiah Thomas? Isaiah Thomas may not be the tallest NBA player, uh, you know, um, measuring in at only five foot nine inches, but certainly is one of the more intimidating uh, basketball players out there. So I'm going to go to you, Josh. How many Frosties would it take? Just to clarify, this whole thing is like one of those competitions, like this amount of goals wins you free Chick-fil-A sandwich. This amount of strikeouts wins you free pizza. This uh, this many free throws wins you a free Frosty, um, which they, I guess, did they miss it by one? Is that what the case so is? So what happens is if, uh, if someone misses both free throws, you win the free Frosty. So it's kind of like a fourth oh, quarter so, okay. deal. So gotcha. it's one of those, you know, when... When the pressure kind of pumps up, although it wasn't that close of a game, if someone misses both free throws, the entire crowd wins free Frosties. So certainly interesting. I don't know if there's a number. I do like Frosties, but if it wasn't like a year's supply of Frosties, I don't think I would uh, confront Isaiah Thomas. So like how that. many Frosties, how many free Frosties that I get, how many of those would it take for me to confront Isaiah Thomas? Yeah, about missing free throws. Um... I would go a year's supply because I, I don't want any of that smoke. Yeah, I, I was going to say maybe six months worth. I'm trying to watch my figure right now. Um, and, uh, yeah, my, my figure is still smaller than Isaiah Thomas, uh, even though he is a very, uh, compared to other basketball players, is kind of a small guy. But uh, I don't know if you've ever seen that dude upset before. Yeah. Um I saw it shortly after that whole exchange and yeah, I'd 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 take a hard pass on that. Yeah, so uh we're going to put that tweet up there at 30 rack podcast how many frosties. We're going to have uh one frosty like the gentleman that that came after him. Uh 6 months frosties, uh a year's worth of free frosties or a lifetime of free frosties to see how much it would take for you to go after Isaiah Thomas? Also, man, it's cold. Like, what do you? Is Frosties that important to you? Like, how, are you, were you that drunk that you really wanted a Frosty? Also, a small Frosty is only ninety nine cents, though. Yeah, like, man, I would, I would like, take, I would pay the dollar over having to go after Isaiah Thomas. So, when you uh, put it that way, would you rather go and purchase a ninety nine cent Frosty, or would you tr- rather? try and fight Isaiah Thomas. For I would rather frosties. buy free Frosties for the whole family <laughs> right? than have to do that. So uh, certainly something to uh, keep track of. Um, some breaking news in that category. The two fans that confronted Isaiah Thomas have been banned from the uh, Wells Fargo Arena where the 76ers play. So good to see. Uh, just to kind of wrap this up, Guys, if you're going to be fans, you know, we understand you pay for tickets. You know, we pay for tickets too. But 
just don't be an asshole to, to players. You know, they're trying their best. I understand they get paid a lot of money, but, you know, they're people too. If you wouldn't want to be called that, you know, yourself, if you wouldn't want to be called that with your son next to you or something like that, don't call other people that. So, um, yeah, I mean, like, like there was, so, like, for the Reds, example, they have 11 straight. If the Reds collectively uh, strike out 11 batters, you get free pizza and everything. And sometimes you have the 10 strikeouts and you're sitting there in the eighth or ninth inning and that third out comes on like a ground ball and everything. And the team still gets out of the inning, but you don't get your free pizza. And I think fans, you know, sometimes get caught up in their own selfish desires on what they want and everything. And certainly is like with prop bets and everything, you certainly get caught up on specific things. But at the end of the day, I think fans nowadays need to take a step back and remember that you're a fan of the team, not the individual statistics. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, at the end of the day, you know, it's a couple bucks and stuff like that. It's it's not worth disrespecting a person. So uh, I think it's important to be respectful to all the players. But uh Maybe at times we might get a little disrespectful, and I think, uh, you know, we kind of run that edge in our parting takes. So as we start to wrap up the podcast, uh, thank you so much for listening during this Christmas season. Uh, you know, as we said, always follow along at 30 Rack Podcast at 30 Rack on Facebook. Make sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you can find podcasts. We are around, so uh, be sure to. Subscribe, leave a five-star review, tell your friends, tell any family members that may be big on Ohio beer or Ohio sports to follow along. Josh, with no zingers from Zach this week, we're going to start with you. Josh, who are you jeering this week? Uh, This is going to come as a huge surprise to some people, and some people might get really upset by this. My jeer is to AJ Green. Um... I love AJ Green. I have the most, the utmost expect, uh, respect for AJ Green. I do not disagree with him that he has done an immense amount of work on and off the field in Cincinnati. He is a Cincinnati athletics icon. He is one of the greatest players to ever, one of the greatest athletes to ever come to Cincinnati. Having said that, Some of his comments about the franchise tag, and I don't agree that he's being franchise tagged either. I don't, like, I am totally with him on that. I don't think he should be franchise tagged. What I disagree with is him saying that he has nothing to prove and him being stubborn on, I should just get this money and you should just give this to me and I have nothing to prove. Yes, AJ Green should get the money. Yes, AJ Green should get an extension, but I do not appreciate this I don't even want to call it a cocky attitude but I'm sorry it is a cocky attitude I mean the Bengals uh, paid AJ 15 million dollars for not taking a snap this year they're willing to tag him at 18 million dollars next year he's played one of the last 23 and nine of the last 32 games and he's only 32 He's played one of the last 23 games. There's yeah. only 16 games in a season, Greg. Yeah. And you... he's played one of the last 23 and only nine of the last 32. And you're going to sit there and say that you have nothing to prove at 32 years old. Yeah, when you're when you're above 30 and you're 
starting to be known as an injury-prone player, you know, missing six games in 16, seven games in 18, all the games in 19. Uh, kind of difficult to say that you have nothing to prove. I understand when he's been in there, he's been productive. But when you haven't seen him for, you know, a year and a half worth of football. It's going on two years since you, we've seen A.J. Green start regularly. So... Yeah, at that point, you have no idea kind of what you're getting out of that guy. I have to give a shout out to uh, Lance McAllister, 700 WLW down here in Cincinnati. He was the one that uh, put this whole, you know, perspective on this together. And then I also have to get a shout out to Red uh, Twitter user RedsFan3087, who offered this great reply. For a man who wants to be like Larry Fitzgerald, AJ Green models his career after Larry Fitzgerald. He is handling it the exact opposite way Larry would. And I very much agree with that. Like, we love you, AJ. Like, we love you. We want you to be here more than anybody. We want you to be here with Burrow and everything. But that's not the attitude that we've known from you. So, Greg, uh, are you ready? Are you going to be okay? Yeah, I think I, I think we'll get through this. Disclaimer to anyone that has uh, been a Cleveland Browns fan all their life. Let's do it. All right, so uh, now time for Greg's grumbles. Uh, my grumble starts off with the Hall of Fame finalist being announced. Um, for those of you that don't know, there are finalists that are announced, uh, players, coaches, and then also contributors. So out of the contributors, there were 10 named. Three will get into the Hall of Fame. One of the contributors that was named for the Hall of Fame is um, former owner of the Cleveland Browns, the man that fired Paul Brown, fired Bill Belichick, moved one of the greatest and most storied franchises in the NFL from Cleveland to Baltimore. I hate to speak his name, but I will for this case. Art Modell is up for the Hall of Fame as far as contributors. He was a guy that could not win a Super Bowl when he was the coach of the Browns until 1995 when he moved him. Did have one Super Bowl with Baltimore that killed Cleveland fans. But if you're looking at someone that has done good for the game, yes, maybe he got that Super Bowl. Yes, he he was part of the help for Monday Night Football. But as far as a guy that has fired Two of probably the top 10 all-time coaches in Paul Brown and Bill Belichick has forced one of the greatest running backs of all time, Jim Brown, into retirement, has moved one of the most storied franchises to a different city to the point where the city tried to sue the NFL and get the franchise back. This is a guy who has cut corners, who just got lucky, with a good defense in 2000. This is a guy that has not helped the game, has held the game back, has held the game back in Cleveland, has held the game back wherever he has gone, has almost tried to exile two of the best coaches and one of the best players to ever play the game. This guy should be nowhere near the Hall of Fame, especially a Hall of Fame that's in Northeast Ohio. If you wanna, if you wanna bust to get vandalized quickly, you put that bust in there. But this guy should be nowhere near the Hall of Fame. There are plenty more deserving contributors. There are plenty more deserving players. And if there's one hall that this human being should be in, it should be in the Hall of Hell. Because he moved a team that means so much to so many people to a different city. This guy deserves to be nowhere near the Hall of Fame. 
because he has done heinous things to the game of football. I'm going to offer you two quotes. There's two quotes from Art Modell. One, one particularly that has always rubbed me the wrong, wrong way, but the second one, the, the first one I'll just say is that he says, he says that he has a great football legacy, but it has always been tarnished somewhat by the move. Which, which was his fault. Which was his fault. This quote that always bothers me is that he says he wants to be remembered as a guy who tried his best and did his best. To what? Lose a football team? And exactly. Destroy it's a city's like, football family? It's like the only thing that Art Modell has really done for football is the Monday Night Football thing. He was a huge hand in creating Monday Night Football, which cannot be overstated in what Monday Night Football, maybe not now, but did mean at one point for national football, the National Football League as a brand. But I, to your credit, I think you, I think you could not have put that any better. Is that the guy has had, has done some good things, but for the most part, has wrecked a lot of some of the greatest things in football. He has alienated some of the greatest players in football. He has alienated some of the greatest coaches in football, and he alienated a whole entire f- city of fans that had f- that it that that city was football. When the Browns first were there, that city was football, and that was that was the sport of the city there. And he wrecked that whole thing, and he wrecked that he wrecked that fan base. So, to give you kind of a more in depth look at it, just from the Thirty Rack Podcast family. Now, I know him alienating Jim Brown, or not Jim Brown, Paul Brown, did give the Bengals a team, which did help out you. But as far as the two of us, did it? I the, feel like I'd have a much other, life without him. The two other pieces of this podcast, Zach is a Green Bay Packer fan. And you wonder, why would a guy from Southeast Ohio, a big Indians fan, be a Packer fan? It's because he grew up without a football team in Cleveland. Right. That team was gone when he was growing up. You look at me, my, I, though as big of a Browns fan as I am, my favorite sport is basketball. You know why? Because... I did football, football was not on until I was a certain age because we did not watch football when the Browns were not in the NFL. So he was a guy that tried to take football away from me, took football away from a city, took a heart away from the city. And if you see the way the Browns, if you see, if you saw how the city looked when the Cavs won uh, the NBA championship, imagine it with some Brown success. That is a team that is king in Cleveland and is, though in recent years, one of the laughing socks after coming back, it is one of the most storied franchises and one of the most loyal fan bases in football that was just given basically a kick to the curb by an owner that just didn't want to find a way to make it work. And at the end of the day, maybe he got the success, maybe he got that, maybe he got what, he wanted, but he shouldn't get this because he doesn't deserve this. He's done nothing to deserve this, and he should not be one of the three picked into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, well, and it's interesting that we talk about this because uh, this was about the time of year when the out-of-nowhere move came to take uh, the Baltimore uh, Colts and move them to Indianapolis uh, from Bob Ursay. Um, and so that's one of the extensions of the Browns move is it creating that franchise and it creating the Cincinnati franchise and 
So say what you will about uh, Art Modell and that, yes, he has done some good things for football, a few great things, but he has done so many things that I think have hurt a large, large, important group of football history. And a large point of Ohio and everything other history. So um, I was going to say, I, yeah, I we, are, get, we are an Ohio podcast, so I don't think anyone's going to disagree with us on this at all. But Yeah, so I'm just going to, you know, lead my, my final words before we get into our shout-outs so I don't get too much more animated on this. But if the writers and anyone else cares about football in the state of Ohio and cares about the people around the Hall of Fame and the people – who have helped start football because Ohio was kind of the birthplace of NFL football. This man who tried to take away Ohio football should not be in the Hall of Fame. And that's all I will say on that. All right. To Ken Anderson should have been on that list as well, former uh, Bengals well, quarterback. Well, I'll get to mine in, in, in shout-outs. So uh, we're going to go to our shout-outs to end the show as we try to do on a little bit of a happier note. Uh, Josh, who are you shouting out? Um, this week, uh, I'll play our normal, uh, normal theme song for us as we head out here. Um, uh, my shout out this week is to our listeners. Anyone that is listening to us while traveling, um, we know what our interstates are here. Columbus is an absolute, like, hellhole mess of a construction zone right now. So is Ac- Cincinnati. So is Cincinnati. So is Akron. Um, I don't make it up to the northeast part of Ohio very much, but if you're out there, um, you know, I know it can be stressful trying to get everywhere and see the family and, you know, any family issues you might encounter. Just take it slow, relax, you know, no road rage or anything like that. Please be safe out there as you travel for the holidays around Ohio or wherever you're going. Ohio is dangerous to travel in. Oh, very much <laughs> For so. uh, the holidays. So please be safe out there. If you have us on in the car, please do not drink and drive. Enjoy this podcast responsibly. Um... That's, that's my shout-out, is be safe this holiday season. All right, so uh, as the Browns look like they're going to lose and get eliminated from the playoffs, I do want to give one shout-out to former Brown Clay Matthews Jr. Has comparable, if not better, stats than Brian Erlacher. Still left out the uh, final ballot again this year. Uh, hopes for him. Hopes that he can get into the Hall of Fame so one day tragic. because he certainly deserves it. Also, once again, shout-out. To our fans, uh, shout out to all of our listeners. Be sure to rate, subscribe. Uh, do not drink and drive, but uh, you can 30 rack and drive. So thank you so much for listening. For Josh, for myself, for Zach, who uh, would love to be here and give his takes, and we'll be back at the beginning of the year. We want to thank you so much. Uh, enjoy this episode. Enjoy the special uh, episode special episode coming up soon and we will be back at the beginning of the year to preview the playoffs get ready for conference playing college basketball get ready for your national championship in college football and clean up some hot stove uh thank you so much for listening peace happy holidays we out